Welcome to One Heart, One Mind, a podcast of the Nampa, Idaho South Stake to inspire and give hope in our efforts to build Zion. And now your host, Kim Keller. Hello, my name is Kim Keller, hosting the One Heart, One Mind Nampa podcast. So excited to be here today with a friend of mine, Pastor Megan Manlove. Welcome to our our podcast, Megan. Thank you. Uh, Megan grew up in the Black Hills of South Dakota. She graduated from Concordia College, Moorhead, spent a year in the Jesuit Volunteer Corps in Syracuse, New York, and then earned her Master of Divinity from the University of Chicago Divinity School. Uh, Now, Megan and I have known each other for 10 years, is that right? Mm -hmm. In that time, um, I've been able to learn more about her and want to share some things about her today. She served uh, a parish in rural western Iowa for six years, and then moved to Nampa in 2010 to serve as the pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church. Megan loves working on local collaborations like Learning Peace, a camp for kids, and I hope we could talk about that a little bit tonight. And she cares deeply about food security and affordable housing here in our fine town of Nampa, Idaho. In her free time, she enjoys exploring Idaho, deepening friendships, reading fiction, and watching good movies. Yes. Yeah, and Megan's got a blog at meganmanlove.com, and that's Megan with two G's, M-E-G-G-A-N, manlove.com. Right? Did I do a pretty good job there? You did great. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here. Yeah. Well, tell us something. Tell us uh, a little bit. Uh, did I miss anything in this discussion? No. That's a great intro. Okay. I think. Awesome. Well, tell me just a little bit. First of all, um, what, uh, what what's the, a good movie that you've watched? Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, well, I... I, I try to watch a lot of the, you know, Oscar nominees. So um, I think that the Francis McDermott movie. Um, oh, I, I don't remember what it's called. No, it, I, I'm blanking. Um, that was dear to my heart because a lot of it is set in Western South Dakota. Oh. Um, so I highly recommend. I, I think it has a lot to say. Also, it's a good movie. It makes you think about where we are as a country right now. So. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we'll, we'll have one of our specialists look it up. Yes. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about, specifically, as, as we've told you, this podcast is about hope. It's really try to, whoever listens, we hope that they can just have an increased measure of hope in their lives, especially in, in times like today. So part of that is understanding how God moves within us, right? How did you, when did you first realize God moving within you? Well, um, I I can't remember a time when I wasn't experiencing God's love. Um, I think my, well, I know that my parents loved me very deeply. Um, Other adults that they brought into my life shared God's love with me. Learning the story of God's love by sitting on my dad's lap while he read, you know, the story Bible and just seeing that whole narrative arc of God's love, praying with my parents at bedtime. So... I just can't remember a time. And I know that that's not every child's experience, but for me, um, I hold that very dear. And I I think when you have that kind of love, then uh, you want to share it with others. And it's not like a responsibility, but but maybe a little bit. Sure. So at some point, it became deep enough in you that you pursued a path of dedicating your life to, to, to serving, right? Yes. Yes. 
So we talk a lot in my Lutheran tradition about um, receiving our identity in baptism, which for me happened when I was two months old. And then I affirmed my baptism, um, my call as a child of God at confirmation or affirmation of baptism in eighth grade. Um, and then, I mean, yes, there's a whole story about how I became a pastor. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about it. When did you decide? Well, um, I was always a, a generalist. I was interested in lots of different things. And so that is one part of my call story because um, parish ministry or public ministry, professional ministry requires lots of different skill sets. And then I just had people along the way who encouraged me to think about um, public ministry, especially several. Uh, I grew up um, in a wonderful congregation in Custer, South Dakota, male pastor who was very committed to youth ministry. His kids were about my age, so that was very important to the congregation at that time. And he just had a real heart for the community. We had a welcome statement in the 1980s that was very cutting edge, in my opinion. But then later I had some encounters with women pastors who really inspired me. And, you know, there's something about seeing somebody who looks like you in a role that makes you think about it. And a few of them talked to me. Then I went to graduate school and I was actually thinking about being a professor. Um, and maybe if I'd gone somewhere else, it would have been different. But the University of Chicago is very rigorous mm -hmm. academically. And I had a great internship at a church within walking distance. And it became very clear to me that I should keep pursuing that path, um, public ministry. And so I did. And then I had a good first call and then um, in Iowa in a town of 200 people. <laughs> but I had done my internship in this area um, with Lutheran Campus Ministry at Eastern Washington University and a small parish up in Cheney. And so they knew me. And so when I was looking for another call, they said, we have someplace down by Boise. It's like, Boise? Um, and then I came and I just fell in love with the congregation. Oh, that's awesome. But we, I mean, I think that everybody has a call. Uh, Luther, Martin Luther wrote that in his time, popes, bishops, priests, monks, and nuns are called the religious class, whereas princes, lords, artisans, and farm workers are called the secular class. But he said, all Christians whatsoever really and truly belong to the religious class, and there's no difference among them insofar as their work is different. That's, that's great. Yeah, I, we, we so can relate in that. You and I have talked often about the, the various uh, callings that, that, that our members have and how they're involved and feel a need. We, this year in our, in our stake, we've really... Uh, try to teach our members a lot and inspire our members to discover a personal ministry mm -hmm. in their own life. And, uh, and I've always been impressed with, with you and your story and the ministry that you feel called upon to move. And, and specifically in this town, what, what are some of the things that you have, you have felt moved upon to do in Nampa? Well, when I came, I inherited a garden. So I got into food ministry, even though I have no green thumb at all. <laughs> Um, and that just set me into different conversations about, um, food insecurity. And then of course the population has changed. Paul's markets closed and 
I, re- I remember the day that Pam Peterson, retired um, public health nurse, called me and said, I'm pulling a group of people to talk about food insecurity in North Nampa. Would you be part of that? And that the garden, Trinity Community Gardens, which is a separate nonprofit, has really transformed over the years. But it's always been about feeding people and about working with others, about collaborating. So even though the partnerships have changed, there have always been partners. And um, and then, you know, I, I remember when I came to interview my call committee, That's um, they were a little apologetic about this affordable housing that was surrounding our parking lot because they said, you know, 20 years ago, it really divided the congregation and the neighborhood and I thought it was great that they stood behind their leadership and said, no, this is who we are. This is what we want to do with our land. And then five years into my call, Mercy Housing said we want to get out of Nampa. And we were in the middle of a 50-year ground lease agreement with them. And um, we decided that instead of trying to sell the land to them, we would buy the houses back and create a separate nonprofit. And so that just was like as we talked about, um, making more phone calls because I didn't have any expertise in that. Hmm. I could bring a theological lens like, oh, it's now 2015. There still seems to be a need for affordable housing in Nampa. Who do I know that can help us with this? Who are those people who are skilled in real estate or law or whatever? So for those who who are familiar with Nampa, they they would recognize the area that we're talking about. You guys are right there by West Middle School. Everybody sees that garden every year that you have going, and then all this, the small homes around there, this affordable housing that yep. you've been working so hard on. And I would have to say, in my experience working with you through the years, Megan, I, I can't be more excited about being able to tell the world how you are so good at working with other people. You, you um, have an, a spirit of ecumenism in you which makes it delight for us as members of our faith to work with you on projects like the affordable housing. And I think we've been good partners in many things. Absolutely. I have a friend who says, you're such a great networker, but you're not smarmy about it. Oh, (laughs) I don't know exactly what she means by that, but I think it's a compliment. Yeah. 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 We've appreciated that. It's been fun to work with. Now, um, Tell me a little bit more. When you observe, I, I don't know that a lot of us recognize or understand when you talk about the food, uh, we talk about the food desert in North Nampa. I don't know how many people really are familiar with that, especially those of us who go to bed without worrying about eating each night. What what do you see out there? Well, um, and this year has just been so interesting. And of course, you had Dan on. He talked about the food, um, their partnership with the Idaho Food Bank. But there's food there, to be sure. Um, but is it, you know, healthy food? Um, mm-hmm. And is it affordable? And most of us in Nampa drive, but not everybody does. And not everybody always has a working vehicle. So I don't know if it's still designated. Um, and then, of course, Winco has gone in kind of in North Nampa, but that's quite a ways away from North Central Nampa. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just food access. Food access is the main thing. And we're sort of seeing some improvement there, but always a need. Yep. Yeah, I think so. And uh, it's been fun to watch. I mean, food is a little bit, I'm probably mixing metaphors, but it's um, 
it's easier fruit than housing. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's been really amazing this year to watch like the food distributions at the Fort Idaho center and all of that. Um, yeah, but it's always an issue. Um, and especially, yeah, there's a lot of people working on it together and I think we're less siloed now than we used to be, which is great. Good, good, good. Well, um, you and I have spoken before about the two great commandments and how it's it's so hard for us to you know what they are. I do <laughs> love God and love your I'm neighbor. Just teasing. Yes. Of course, I'm asking a master of divinity. <laughs> By the way, you would have been a wonderful uh, a wonderful uh, professor. Oh, thank you. You would have been great. So, but yeah, tell me some of your observations about loving God and loving our neighbor, and how does that resonate with you personally, and maybe led you to, to projects as a pastor. Well, I think, especially if you're looking at, you know, when Jesus gives the commandments in Luke, then he ends up telling the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it becomes very clear that your neighbor is sometimes your next door neighbor, and it's sometimes your friend that you've known for 10 years. But a lot of times it's a stranger, um, either looking at that parable or at Jesus's life. Or sometimes it's your enemy. And so, um, and sometimes neighbor love is, you know, you're grumpy and you go to the store and you want to be kind to the cashier because that could make a difference in their life or just your daily encounters. So I think that's definitely neighbor love. And I think we could just use a lot more of that. Um, But sometimes neighbor love is about bigger things or structural things like um, housing or uh, food access. And and sometimes it includes, you know, speaking up at city council on behalf of something you believe in or um, getting involved or, or voting for something that you're passionate about. So I think neighbor love can take on a lot of, um, can look different. But what if you have a really nasty neighbor and they like throw trash in your yard? It's and... so hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so hard. But I mean, it's pretty clear. Like, I don't know. I, 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 I mean, that's not like, um, but nobody, Jesus never said discipleship was going to be super easy. He didn't, did he? <laughs> He's pretty clear about that. Yeah. He yeah. even died on a cross. So, yeah. um, I think that when it's the most difficult, then at least it's worth paying attention to and being curious about. Yeah. When you say curious, I love that word. What What do you, <laughs> why do you use that word? I just think that we need, I think curiosity is going to be a huge, I think we're missing it a lot. I, even in myself. I mean, I just, I can be so judgmental, you know, reading something or hearing somebody say something and you just... But if you're curious, then, well, why, why, why is my neighbor throwing stuff over here? Why don't, why, why didn't they learn? I mean, being a landlord has been very, that whole experience has just been so interesting. I always think that like six years ago, I would have been, oh, those evil landlords, like, you know, they, they're so terrible to their affordable housing tenants. And now I'm like, well, geez, we need rights too, as a landlord. I mean, um, but on the other hand, why do these, why do people coming into our housing not know that filters need to be changed or why don't they, oh, well, nobody taught them, you right, know, maybe they right. grew up. I mean, that curiosity just leads to more empathy, I think. I love that. You know, 
I've shared this with, with several people. I, I just, there's this need for us to just feel like we're right about everything. And then if we feel that so strongly, then all we do is defend it all the time. And when we're defending it, it's usually defending our, I, I'm a smart person. I made this decision. So obviously I've got to defend it. But if we can take away the need to defend everything and instead, and the word curiosity is the, is the, is the, is the key. Say, okay, well, why do you feel this way? Why do you think this way? What is, you know, and, and I do believe that we are better able to practice that those commandments, especially the second one, right? Love your neighbor as yourself, if we're curious about that. That's, thank you for sharing that word, wonderful word there. Tell me a little bit about, um, about peace camp. Oh. Learning peace. Yeah, tell me about that. That's, oh that's been an amazing thing. I've watched <laughs> you guys just turn that into something. I had my doubts. I, first of all, I guess I'll say a little bit. I'm on a committee with you, and I don't intend all the meetings, but, but early on I was on my... And, uh, and it's, it's a wonderful thing. So tell us about Peace Camp. Okay, so I don't know, about five years ago or yeah. something like that. For, um, I think we were at um, a NAMP. I was with some other Nampa pastors and Kai Morgan, who was then serving at the UCC church had, um, anyway, some Methodist lay people had talked to him about using what they thought was a UCC curriculum, um, peace village out of Oregon. And so he brought it up to a couple more of us and wondered if other people wanted to collaborate. And my friend, Karen Hunter, who's at Grace Episcopal church, I know, she has so many years of experience before she became a priest in early childhood developments. And so um, I asked her if she wanted to be involved and we just kind of put this little group together without a coordinator, without any paid staff, got some funding. <laughs> and um, I know we were talking about a location and I thought, well, oh, Hispanic Cultural Center. And so that's kind of become our home. So yeah, every morning about um, we canceled last year, but the years before that, about 100 kids from six ages 6 to 13 participate in classrooms where they learn about conflict resolution, connecting with nature, mindfulness, which sometimes is yoga, sometimes is line dancing, and then um, media literacy, which is like you're watching a commercial, kids, and be curious about it. What are they trying to do to, you know, or... Um, or how, or create your own media and your own message about peace. And then in the afternoons, we take kids on field trips to Deer Flat, um, to the nature preserve. And then we sometimes we have cultural experiences, cultural guests come in like ballet folklorica. I think this year we're having Irish dancers, birds of prey is always a big hit when they come. Mm -hmm. And then it's run by these volunteers and, um, from many different faiths. From That's many what's different been so faiths. fun. We've yes. had some wonderful people in, in, in some of our stakes who've just been so delighted to be part of it. And, and you guys have done such a great... I honestly have to say, the first meetings I went to, I thought, this is a great idea, but it's going to really struggle. But right out of the gate, you guys just hit out of the park. I, did, I couldn't believe how many kids started coming. Yeah. And that was, I think, really beneficial to be that part of town. I think mm -hmm. we knew that. And then the people from... One thing that you can get people to rally around in Canyon County is kids. And yep. so the partnerships, the p different people that members of our team could call, we got 
Steve Weston to be involved in food. And then somebody had a contact with Brown Bus Company for some transportation and just went on and on and on. And um, and who doesn't want to help kids learn peacemaking skills? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's so, so true. Just any mission that says, let's bring peace. I mean, I mean, peace is such a deeper thing than just even between each each other. I mean, yes. it's, it, I think you and I spoke in the past. Peace begins just each person is struggling to find their own peace. Sometimes, are you sensing that with in, in your in your job as a pastor? What are you finding in people on a regular basis internally? Yeah, I think there's just a lot of um, anxiety. I think there's even though we're so connected, or we have the potential to be so connected online. There's still a lot of isolation. Um, I, I definitely think you can create real community like through Zoom and lots of things across the country with different around different things that you're passionate about. But I think there's a lot of loneliness and yeah, just now kind of wondering where we're going and what the future is. But there's also hope. Yeah. Tell me about that. I I, I, I know that what what do you tell people who are dealing with in, in the time that you spend uh, maybe advising or giving counsel? What are some things that you look for hope in, in Christ? Well, so I think, you know, we talked about neighbor love. And then a couple weeks ago in the rotation of scripture passages that I preach on, um, preached on Jesus's beautiful metaphor of the vine and the branches. And what that's really about is, you know, you're going to love your neighbor, but that love is connected to knowing God's love for you. Mm-hmm. Um, that abiding that he uses over and over and over. And so how do we abide in God's love? Well, in Idaho, sometimes for a lot of people, that means connecting with nature. I mean, you can definitely, I can't argue with people who go to the sawtooth for the weekend yeah, <laughs> to yeah. experience um, the beauty of the natural world. It also means abiding uh, with in worship, in reading scripture, as you and I were talking about before we started recording. So, and then I think it changes over a lifetime too. Sometimes the way that you are reminded of your identity as a child of God, that'd be the language I would use. Very shared language we use. That's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> is um, It just changes. I mean, what works when you're 20 may change by the time you're 60. Um, mm-hmm. So that's just... But I think having community and people to talk to about what's what's working for you. How are you yeah. remembering your identity? That's really helpful. I, I love the fact you bring up change. Uh, I mean, it is amazing how we just see life differently with each decade because of the experiences that were dragged along with us yep. or that have made us who we are. But, but also, I, I like your observation of maybe even the way that we worship that can change as we mature. And it's important for us to, to be able to recognize that and continue to search for that that connection with, with God. Sure. No matter where you are in your life and how right. you may be doing differently. Well, and it's, uh, I love having, I mean, I think church is one of the, I don't know, besides the gym and maybe the grocery store, <laughs> I'm trying to think of other multi-generational settings that we mm-hmm. have today. But one of the things I love about being a parish pastor is that I have, multiple generations. The challenge is then everybody is kind of at a different place. I mean, my young professionals just don't have as much time Mm -hmm. and they need to be giving their time to their family and to their career. 
then I have retirees who all of a sudden have this time and they're so curious and they're just, they have all, they want to learn mm. and dig deep into things that they just haven't had the time to before. Um, what's great is then, you know, there are times when we're together and they can share all of those different experiences across the generations. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. You said in your pre-interview that the call is to listen to and to look for new opportunities and that the specifics might change. Uh, is that kind of what we're just talking about? Yeah, I think so. I think um, even think about how NAMPA has changed in our my 10 years here um, <coughs> and the polarization that we were talking about in our community and country. Yeah. I think, I don't know, I just think listening and showing up in different places and making sure that, um, I mean, I remember after we'd been into affordable housing for a while, I really realized that I was spending a lot of time with my pastor friends and, um, and colleagues and a lot of time with people in the nonprofit sector. But I wasn't, I didn't know any people, I, I knew very few people in our business world. And so... That's when I joined the Chamber of Commerce <laughs> oh. so I could go to their breakfast and just like, you know, get to know that whole community um, because, yeah, I just was curious again. Yeah. Um, and I guess I don't think that every relationship, you know, you don't go in. I even think about this with the, the it's not the Ministerial Association now. Now it's the Nampa Interfaith Council. Yes. <laughs> You know, I don't, I don't always get something out of that meeting, but the relationships are why I'm there. Mm -hmm. And I just never know when maybe I need to be there to pray for one of those colleagues or, or when I can pick up the phone because they might know a resource that I don't. Um, and that was kind of the same thing with the, yeah, the chamber, just getting to know different people and what their needs were and how they were experiencing our city. I don't know if that answered your question. Absolutely. No. And you've been such a great example of one who who tries to connect with people in the community. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. Not everybody has the, I don't know, say tools or desire or um, ability to season their life to be able to connect. Like, you know, like you and I have been able to connect through things, but not everybody can do that. How, how, where can people connect just every day, even if they're not involved in community type things or a big. Oh, well, um, I think a lot of people in this community probably do it through schools, right? It's a great place to connect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, and churches. And I don't know, a lot of my seniors connect with all their friends at the, at the, at the Nampa Recreation Center. <laughs> well, I love how you said earlier about, you know, how the how recreation center or grocery store and, and, and or that just the church is such a great place. It, I think we've missed, it's been fascinating to see how we missed it during COVID, mm -hmm. all that connection. Yes. And uh, I think many of us wondering, well, are people going to come back to church? Yep. But it's been pretty exciting to watch people come back uh, and just say, oh, my goodness, it's so good to talk to somebody. Yes, yes. I had a whole, my one of my messages to my congregation this last week was all about how we might all need to practice a little bit some things that were really normal before. Yeah. Just like, oh, how do I make small talk over yeah. <laughs> whatever or ask people about um, face to face. But it it's so good. We, I think, you know, um, 
the the screen and all of that was great and i loved zoom and connecting with people all across the country and i'm i mean during the lockdown or quarantine times i connected with people i hadn't maybe on the phone but we're embodied people we're meant to be together in person that's so true well megan it is it has just been fun talking to you tonight Thank you. Uh, yeah any any final thoughts or words you want to share with us no, I just think this is a great way to connect, too. I mean, the way yeah. that you're interviewing all sorts of different people and, um, and, and people that aren't part of your tradition, like that's, that's just another way um, to build relationships and who knows what comes out of all of it. So. Absolutely, yeah. Well, it's been my pleasure to interview you, but really more my pleasure to have uh, been able to know you over the last decade and all of our projects. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to One Heart, One Mind Nampa. Credit is given to Kim Keller, who oversees the podcast, both Lindy Bauer and Kim Keller, who are our hosts, Casey Maddox, the project director and announcer, Rachel Bauer, who is our site director. Likewise, thanks also to Kayla Christensen, our project manager, John Freeman, our communications coordinator, Jesus Gomez, the key grip and podcast editor, Don Ricker, our digital platform manager, Rich Petrie, and DJ Holiday for final edits. Thank you for listening to One Heart, One Mind. We hope that you have felt inspiration and hope in moving towards Zion. As always, thank you, and may the Lord bless you.